wherever there are shadows, there are people ready to kick at the darkness until it bleeds daylight. This is Bleeding Daylight with your host, Rodney Olson. Welcome. You can connect with us through Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. The links are at bleedingdaylight.net, where you'll find lots of other episodes. Please rate and review Bleeding Daylight through your podcast app and share episodes with others. In a world that talks about opinions as truths, is it possible to stand for a universal truth? We'll explore that topic with today's guest. Johnny Sanders is a licensed professional counsellor. He's also the host of the Faithfully Engaged podcast, encouraging listeners to engage the culture and fight for truth. While he isn't trying to force anyone to hold his own understanding of faith and values, he's very much upfront with what he believes. He's my guest on Bleeding Daylight today. Johnny, thank you so much for your time. Absolutely. I'm excited to be here today. I'm always interested in discovering what has brought a person to the place that they are now. So what was it that drew you towards counselling as a profession? Yeah, great question. There was not one specific thing that led into it. It was kind of a a scattering of several things. First, when I was in college, I was like a lot of people in college that I didn't really know exactly what I wanted to do. I ended up taking a psychology class and ironically was one of the classes I did the worst in that year, but I just really enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed some of the concepts in it. Between that and in my friend groups growing up, up in high school and just with different peers, I kind of was the person that people would go to. If two people were having an argument, I was usually the one in the middle that they would kind of both talk to me about. So I kind of had some of those natural listening skills and ability to help people out in those situations. So that combined with my enjoyment of that psychology class, one thing kind of led to the other and just kept taking more classes and the rest is kind of history. And I imagine that comes from a genuine interest in people, rather than just trying to get in there and fix people. It's actually Mm -hmm. wanting to know people and and understand how things are are working for them. Absolutely. I say this often when I'm talking with people that don't really understand the counseling process, or they've either not been in it themselves or, or really don't know much about it. Effective counseling anyways, when I see the most change is oftentimes when I say the least amount. I I might listen a lot and really try to steer conversation. I ask a lot of questions, whole lot of questions, because I want people to understand where they're coming from. And I want to understand where they're coming from. Yeah, it's not a, I'm the expert on everything. Just do what I say. That's not really how the process works. And I imagine if you were just to tell people what to do and say and think, uh, they would walk out of that room and be doing something completely different. It needs to come from them, doesn't it? Absolutely. One of my favorite experiences is when I'll have a client that maybe after a few sessions in, they say something that I might have said in a little bit of a different language earlier on, and then they use it in their own words. This kind of sounds backwards a little bit, but I love it when they don't give me any credit for it. It's like, oh, I just had this thought that I came up with on my own. Even though I knew I kind of helped inject a little bit into that, I love when they take that ownership and start to make that truth, that wisdom their own and not just something that I threw on them. But obviously there are times when you need to 
bring truth to a situation. I know that a lot of counselling is actually finding the way that the person will naturally deal with an issue and drawing that out of them. But there must be times as well where you need to bring truth into a situation. Yes. And that is certainly something that in just the cultural issues of our days, it's why I've been more and more explicit of the angle I'm coming from. I take the biggest hot button issue of the gender affirming care, gender ideology things. Sitting and listening is still really important. Like you said in the bio there, I really make that important. I don't inject those values on them, but I have to have a basis of truth. If it's kind of the the more postmodern concepts that we hear now. It's, it's my truth or your truth. We can't get anywhere with that. You have to have some standard of truth. And for me, as any uh, Bible-believing Christian, that source of truth ultimately comes from Scripture, and it comes from God. We believe that He is truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, right? So that truth comes from Him. And I have to steer things towards that direction, even if I'm not explicitly saying you need to be a Christian towards that client, there are times where I do have to steer the direction. If they say, for instance, I just want to use drugs every day of the rest of my life, I'm not going to just affirm that and say that's a good decision. No, we, we have to steer it, but there is a kind of a finesse and a little bit of an art in how to do that instead of being heavy-handed towards the client. And you've brought up this whole concept these days of your truth and my truth, rather than there being truth. We seem to have swapped the idea of opinion or conclusion based on evidence to my truth and your truth, as if it has changed the way that we view truth overall. Yes. Part of what is concerning in my field, in the counseling field, kind of broaden this out a little bit. There's a very heavy push into more mental health care. You'll hear that often. We need more access to mental health care, things of that nature, which on the surface is not a bad thing. We were probably the other way for too long where people wouldn't seek out help. But when you just have that blanket statement of we need more mental health care, again, we have to be careful because what does that mean? There is a lot of my truth type of ideology in the counseling profession, if the individual gets to determine what that is and just simply wants to feel better, feeling better can be a symptom. It could be a great side product of going towards truth, but not always right there in that in that second. I, I use often a physical health analogy. You go to the gym. That doesn't feel good in that moment. So, if I'm using the my truth thing is, well, my truth says exercise isn't healthy for me because that hurts. That doesn't feel good. Just because I say that's my truth, it doesn't mean it really is the truth. The truth is our bodies are made for exercise. They're, they're meant to move and that's healthy for us. Even though it hurts in the short term, the long term, that is a healthy thing for us. Kind of going back to just that whole concept of mental health. People just need to be very careful and ask more questions of what does that mean and is truth at the center of whatever that resource is. And oftentimes it is. I'm I'm not going to say every mental health thing is bad. I'm obviously in the mental health world myself, but that postmodern my truth concept is heavily, heavily in the field without a doubt. We do, as you say, hear a lot about mental health. 
but is there validity in wanting to improve mental health? And if so, how do we go about that, keeping the truth in mind? Now, th- there definitely is validity in that. Um, I-, I will certainly say that off the bat. There are certain concepts that, by and large, if you go to any counselor, you're going to be able to probably have some benefit there. Where it really gets tricky is on these, really just the social movements, really an activist type of mindset that is in the mental health profession. I guess my word of advice would just to be cautious if somebody is dealing with depression or or anxiety, whatever it may be. One, vet your counselor. I'm big on this. You know, I'm a counselor myself. I try to keep my personal things fairly under wraps um, as far as social media, but we have social media accounts just like everybody else. Like if you're going to go to a counselor, look them up, see what they're posting. And that's not everything, but you might be a little surprised at some of the things they are posting. It may not be super professional. So be very cautious. And more important than that is if we are going to seek truth, I alluded to this before, you have to have a source of truth. For me, for for you, that source of truth is scripture. So if there are things that you're seeing from a mental health perspective that is directly going against scripture, we'll take gender affirming care. It's very simple. Genesis, we are made in God's image. God made us male and female. It's pretty simple. It's really not that difficult. When you hear that gender ideology that's being pushed in the mental health profession, that directly goes against scripture. So when you have that as that basis, that's really going to inform your decision making going forward. They might cloak it in some flowery good words, but that source of truth, we don't go against the real truth there. You're saying that we should try and vet the mental health professionals that we go to see. You would be saying that for people who are on the other side of that divide, that they should check you out. And Mm -hmm. for some, they're going to say, this is not the help that I want. This is not the instruction that I want because you're quite upfront with your beliefs, aren't you? Yes, when I have arguments come against me of being unethical or been accused of doing what's called conversion therapy, which we could have a whole other conversation on that. Essentially, what they're trying to communicate there is there is a conversion therapy where, particularly for homosexuals back 70s, 80s, when it was bigger, really they're saying aversion therapy, which would be like shock therapy, or that they would show pictures of males or whatever, and they would physically hurt the person. That's kind of how they connotate that, which I think most people would agree, like we shouldn't be shocking people. But now that's equated there, they'll use that same language, and they'll accuse me of that because I say that a boy's a boy and a girl's a girl. Those are two very different concepts. One, somebody is being actively aggressive, whether I disagree with them or not, inflicting harm on somebody is not not a good thing. On the other, I'm stating an extremely simple fact, and that is going to turn off a lot of people. I'm to the point where I'm not really upset by that, and in fact, I always tell people, hey, if 
I am not a good fit for you, then I can at least try to point you in the right direction, maybe give you a resource elsewhere, a website to look up somebody else. I'm not trying to deny anybody care. It's a natural kind of selection there that those that are looking for more of a LGBT affirming person, I guarantee you they can find one. There are many, many out there. But what there's not many of are people that really Bible-believing Christians that are upfront with that. So while a lot of people don't like that, there's a lot of people that do. It's been very encouraging for me to hear from people that the alternative for them would be to not get any mental health care. They're so distrusting of everything, they're just going to keep everything to themselves. And by me being upfront with that, I already had a level of trust because they knew the biblical worldview I was coming into. So I'm not about kicking people out. It's just about unveiling. These are my values. If you like them, great. If you don't, then let me help you get resources elsewhere. That's really all it is at at face value. When we're talking about good mental health, when we're talking about Christians, and I know that there has in the past been this idea that, well, Christians can't be depressed. Christians can't have these sorts of issues. We know that that's not the case. How would you approach that with someone of faith that comes to you saying, these are the feelings that I'm having? Great question. I like to start with the basic things first and then work to the more complicated. Some critics would say, well, a Christian counselor is just going to say, just kind of pray it away. I understand the criticism of that, that if I'm not really, as, as a professional, kind of digging deeper and might be dismissive. That being said, as Christians, we do know that prayer is very powerful, and it's something that we're commanded to do. So I'll start with those spiritual discipline type of things. If you're a Christian, you believe that you're a sinner and, and Christ has saved you, and you're not plugged into a church, I'm not saying that's why you're depressed, but let's start there. Let's get you into a church. Let's get your spiritual disciplines going. Are you praying regularly? Are you reading scripture regularly? Those real basic things as a Christian, let's start there. And that doesn't mean that that's the end. Maybe there is some more childhood trauma that we need to process through. There could be a lot more than just that. But you'd be surprised at how that real simple thing of getting your spiritual life back in check can resolve a lot, a whole lot. We are spiritual beings. We are made to worship. If we are not worshiping Christ, then we're worshiping something else. Oftentimes, my job with my faith-based clients is trying to steer them towards those spiritual resources, and then from their learning how even with my mental health concerns, how do I let Christ, how do I cast those anxieties onto Him, as again, is commanded us in us in Scripture? For some people, that might be one or two sessions that we can really get that going. Others, it might be longer than that. We might have some more complex things. Oftentimes, it's really not as complicated as we make it. Sometimes we know the things we need to do, but we're just not doing it. So I really encourage and try to help steer people in that direction. One thing that we know is not good for our mental health is just being angry all the time. And we do see a lot of people who have beliefs and convictions that go against the norm or that go against the, the current society idea of what we should be thinking, just being angry the whole time. And that can't be good. 
It's not great for our witness. So mm-hmm. how can we engage in current issues without that anger, without that vitriol? That kind of leads into my podcast. My podcast started as just simply Truth and Grace Counseling Podcast. That is my counseling practice name, Truth and Grace Counseling. And while that's been great, it really has evolved into its own thing. The whole basis of this new show, which is called Faithfully Engaged, is just like you're talking about. I enjoy content from a Christian perspective. I am politically more on a conservative perspective. I enjoy some of that content. But like you said, there's so much out there. There's so much bad in the world that you just sit there and think, well, this is awful. And then you don't do anything about it. My podcast, I interview guests and encourage audience that, okay, we see something's a problem. So what am I going to do about it? There's a couple questions that I ask people to kind of guide them. One, what can I do about it? If the answer is very simple, that there is something very tangible I can do, then that next step is just to go do it. We don't want to overcomplicate it. Most of the time, that answer is going to be in a smaller scale than we would like it to be. What I love to tell the audience, if you do these five things, then you and your kids will not face any dangers in the world. Sure, that would be great if I could do that, but we know that that's not true. We need to break it down into what I can do, and maybe what I can do is help prepare my kids. Maybe I can tell them, look, some people in the world say that a boy can become a girl and a girl can become a boy, but this is what scripture says. And No matter what they do to their body, there are only two sexes, male and female, and that's what they will always be. You saying that to your kids, does that take away the whole problem? No, but it's doing something. That's not just sitting in anger and apathy. You're being active. And then that second part, once you've fully exhausted, what can I do about it? And you've done everything that you know how how to do. The second part is dealing with it, realizing I've done what I can. That goes back to casting those anxieties to God. Lord, this world's going crazy. I don't know what to do with it. And praying that to God and then doing something else with your life. Maybe that means shutting off the TV for a little bit. Maybe that means getting off of the internet for a while, turning off Facebook, Instagram, or whatever. And then go do something. Play a game outside with your kids. Go for a walk. Go do an art project you haven't done for a while. Like If you've exhausted that issue, you're not doing any good by just sitting in front of the TV for two, three, four hours and just stewing over how bad it is. You already did what you can do. So go make something. Go do something. Go talk to your neighbors. Engage with the life that God has given you. It's messy. There's never an exact easy answer to just solve all of it. But like we said, we know sitting in that anger and apathy, that's not what Christ calls us to do either. Calls us to be slow to anger. He also says that vengeance is his if we want to go on the angry route. So let's let God have that. He can take care of it. And let me make the circle of influence he, he gave me in my life. Let me just deal with that instead. We're always going to find people that we disagree with, but we see in an increasingly polarizing world that we have friends and enemies, and Mm -hmm. it seems to be 
so black and white when we know that so often the world can be grey. So how do we actually deal with people with whom we disagree in a loving way? We're told that we are to speak the truth in love. We are told that we need to be loving to all around us. When there is someone that we are so opposed to their ideas, how do we make sure that we don't become angry at them and that we actually are still able to show them love? Yeah. And this is another one where this is tough. It's very tough to be able to do. And I like to be upfront with people too, that you're probably going to make mistakes on this. Maybe the first thing I would say is apologize when necessary. If you have handled something in the wrong way, maybe you yelled at that individual because you're so upset, do apologize. Starting with apologizing for your behaviors If you have done something wrong, instead of apologizing for the other person's feelings, that's an extremely important concept, and it goes into knowing what truth is and not apologizing for truth. For instance, if somebody says, these are my pronouns and I want you to respect these pronouns, and you don't do that, maybe the way you talk to them, if you yelled and screamed at them and called them names... Again, apologize for that. You shouldn't have lost your temper or or called them names. But what's going to happen is that other side can oftentimes use our kind of area sympathy and try to twist it against us. Don't ever apologize for truth. Don't apologize on that end or for their emotions. Apologize when you were wrong. Again, that sounds like I'm saying the same thing, but those are different concepts. One is our actions. The other is them and kind of their version of truth. So we need to have that set first. Once you have that set is once you start realizing that your anger is boiling up to a point that's just not healthy, that's where you might need to communicate, hey, I love you. You're my sister. You're my brother. You're my coworker, whoever that individual may be, but I am really getting agitated and this conversation isn't going anywhere right now. So let's table this for now until I can be more calm. You might have that conversation a few times, but once we get into a yelling match, I don't care if you're 100% right. If we're at that yelling match, it doesn't matter what you say. You've pretty much already lost because that anger has overtaken you. So you need to know, too, not just the right words to say, but when's the time for me to back away? Sometimes there's some hard decisions that have to be made on that. But then the last piece I would say is don't just talk about the controversial things. Those are important. I'm not going to tell you to shy away from them, but talk about the weather. Talk about the game that you just watched or some fun memory that you had. There's a reason why you care about that person. And yeah, we disagree with this big thing. Sure. But there's other things that you can connect over. Again, don't gloss over it, but we look at them as the enemy when in all actuality, the enemy is sin. And we have that sin just as much as they do. We just might realize that, hey, Christ is our Savior and we've been forgiven of that. And maybe they haven't yet. Don't look at them as they are the enemy because they're not. I say to clients sometimes, sometimes you're right, but you're still wrong. You're right about the truth you had there is right, but the way you handled it was wrong. Don't be afraid to say, I need to go calm down. 
put yourself in timeout like you put your kids in timeout. Sometimes we need to do that as adults too. Is there a place for actually examining the attitude of where those words are coming from, whether they're coming from trying to set the world right or trying to love that person? Yeah. When I say these things to people, I always try to make sure to communicate. I've been there too, where it's much more about me being right, me winning an argument with that individual. It becomes a debate instead of, like you said, trying to love that person. Trying to love that individual might take a little bit more humility than what I'm willing to give in that moment. As soon as I turn that into a debate that I am going to win, we're really losing love there. It's about me and it's not about the truth in that situation. So yes, we definitely need to look at our own heart and what are our motives and the way I'm talking to that. Is it just to win? Because if that's the case, we're probably off course. You mentioned earlier that you really enjoy seeing the lights come on for some people when they start to realize the issues that they're facing. And they obviously, when you're in a counseling situation, they're not always controversial issues. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's just dealing with the everyday stuff of life. It must be incredibly empowering for those people to find a way forward. And it must be an absolute buzz for you when you see people starting to get onto the right track. It is. I was recently interviewing somebody on my podcast, and we're we're talking about a similar thing. This individual wasn't speaking from a counseling background, but just a service background. We don't serve people for our own benefit. You know, that's not the reason why we do that. But feeling great about helping other people or seeing their changes, it's a wonderful side effect. It is a great feeling. I'll say as a counselor, kind of going back to that humility. That's important for me in those situations, particularly in a more explicit Christian counseling situation, for me to check myself. And yes, I'm happy. I'm so glad that they're really finding truth and that they're seeing these changes. But it's important for me to check myself and realize I'm not the winner here. I'm not the victor. It feels great. But Again, we, we worship Christ. He's the one that brings us truth. He's the only one that can change hearts. So that's an important thing for me too, to while, yes, I'm elating that they're getting this, to not make me the winner here. All glory to God and those situations. I'm sure that there are many people who will want to be listening to the Faithfully Engaged podcast so we can direct people there. But also there's probably people who are not in your area who aren't able to come to you for counselling but might want to just sense check the person that they're dealing with, the the counsellor that they're dealing with. What's the easiest way for people to contact you or to find your podcast? On the counselling side? It's truthandgracecounseling.com. I have a contact section on there, and I'll tell you that one of my favorite things is actually getting people in contact with a like-minded counselor. I have quite a bit of an extensive network of different counselors throughout different parts of the world even that have similar values that maybe I can't see you, but I can point you in the right direction. My email's down there as well, which is johnny at truthandgracecounseling.com. Please email me. And then on the faithfully engaged side of things, it's just faithfullyengaged.com. It's also on YouTube, on Rumble, 
Apple Podcasts, everywhere you get a podcast. But faithfullyengaged.com is kind of the website hub where you can listen to things there. And I have a contact page on there as well. Um, Social media links, if you just search Faithfully Engaged, be happy to talk to you even if you don't live in my area. And I will put links to those websites and the contact details in the show notes at bleedingdaylight.net. Johnny, it has been great talking to you. We've covered a whole range of topics. So good to chat. Thank you for your time today. It was absolutely a delight being on. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Bleeding Daylight. Please help us to shine more light into the darkness by sharing this episode with others. For further details and more episodes, please visit bleedingdaylight.net.